You are listening to the Family Business Podcast, the podcast aimed at delivering insights to help your family business thrive. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and each week I'll be bringing you interviews from family businesses and their advisors from all over the world. So without further ado, let's get on with the show. Well, hello and welcome to the Family Business Podcast. I'm your host, Russ Hayworth, and today I am joined by um, Jamie Schweid, who is a fourth-generation member of a family business um, over in the States. Um, I'll let Jamie introduce himself and some background um, to his business, but firstly, Jamie, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. And... I guess if you could um, kick us off by giving us a, a bit of background into the family business, how it started um, and how it, how it came to be where it is today, that would be great. Absolutely, sure. So my name is Jamie Schweid. I'm president and CEO of Schweid & Sons, and we're a fourth-generation ground beef purveyor. Uh, in the late 1800s, my grandfather uh, immigrated over from, um, from Eastern Europe uh, with his local trade uh, being a butcher. And he came to this country, and he started a, uh, a butcher shop in the uh, in the early 1900s. And then from there, had my grandfather who um, joined the business and they started to do some, some different cuts of beef. Um, they actually, my grandfather uh, teamed up with some retailers actually in New York City and uh, we were partners in a, sl- in a, a harvesting facility, which is also called the slaughterhouse uh-huh. uh, in, the, uh, in the 60s. And then my father got involved in the business then to ground beef in the late 70s, around 1978. And then um, in 1978, we were in New York City up until 1994. And then in 1994, my dad decided that although the meatpacking district is beautiful uh, in, in, in nature, it's, it's not the best place to be grinding ground beef. So uh-huh. we moved the facility out to New Jersey. Um, and then uh, last year or this year, excuse me, in, in um, February, we opened up our newest facility in Atlanta, Georgia. So Fantastic. it's been... Uh, yeah, so it's been quite quite a quite a year, and our um, our product mix is only ground beef and burgers. So we don't uh-huh. do anything outside of that. We don't do steaks. Um, we don't do any different or any other proteins like chicken or turkey. It is strictly burgers, ground beef. Um, we're hyper focused on one category. Okay, and do you think that's worked to your advantage? I know um, in a lot of other uh, you pronounce it niche in the in the states, but we say niche over here. Um, but focusing on a, an, a niche or a niche tends to um, be a fairly positive outcome for a lot of businesses. Yeah, no, my father when I first started in the business um, had had uh, created a lot of sayings, and one of them is is that if you're going to be you know if you're going to be uh, do something, you better be great at it and uh-huh. not to, to focus your energy on doing 10 different things average, do one thing really, really great. Uh-huh. And so I, I think that, uh, that's, that, that has absolutely helped us and allows us to really hyper-focus on the whole process and, and, uh, and selling, um, of our products. Uh-huh. Uh, and I understand from, you're saying you moved, um, locations, um, was it your, your father or your grandfather that had an opportunity to buy some property that would be, um, oh. would be f- <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> worth so, a bit now? Yeah, so my, my, my father in the probably mid-80s um, was in the meatpacking district on Gansevoort Street. And it was him and a bunch of meatpackers. Mm-hmm. And so um, he, was, he was on the street and he had this building and the landlord at the time said, look, you know, um, uh, do you want to lease? Do you want to buy? And my dad said, I don't know. You tell me. He goes, well, I can offer you the, the, the side you're on of Gansevoir Street for a couple million dollars. Mm-hmm. My dad at the time in the mid-80s was like, I'm a hamburger purveyor. Yeah. I'm not a real estate uh, person. So uh, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm going to continue to lease and rent the, the, in the space. And the guy says, okay, well, then that's fine. And he stayed and rented there until 94, which was interesting because from probably 86 to 94, the value of that property probably went down. Right. <laughs> so, you know, in, in New York at that time, certainly in the 80s and early 90s, um, was especially in the meatpacking district, it was not the most beautiful place. But once he moved out and uh, Pastis and some of these other high-end uh, fashion and retail spots opened up in the early 2000s, uh, from that gap, there really wasn't much going on in the meatpacking district. Uh-huh. Okay, and, and now I'm guessing that it, the, the, the properties are worth a, a little bit more than they were then. 
Oh, just a just a just a couple bucks. I mean, yeah. the, the the I would say I have to I have to take the take the silver lining in in, in this and say, well, if uh, you know we had bought that property, then I would be in the real estate business, not in the hamburger business. Yeah, so, absolutely. Um, yeah. And and considering that you decided to take that niche move into to hamburgers rather than than generalization, um, and property didn't ever come into that equation, it, it, it's probably the right move for the business. Yes, yes, agreed. We're probably better hamburger purveyors than we are landlords. Yeah. <laughs> um. So so you mentioned that the, the business um had your uh, father in. Did did your dad still work within the business? How's it structured as it as it stands? Yeah, so um, I'll give you the, the the brief background. So yeah, so my dad right now is 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 the chairman of the board, but for the most part is retired. Um, about a year, maybe um, you know the beauty of a family business or a privately owned business, and when you're the the president, well, my dad was at the time is you can pretty much pick and choose how you want to exit the business. And I think yeah. what was great uh, for him was you know he had, he had really worked hard. Uh, to take the business and and build it and grow it, and you know it was a it was a big part of his life for so many years that he took his time in really rel- uh, relinquishing his uh, his duties. So you know there were certain areas of the business that he enjoyed more than others, and so um, you know areas like sales, I would uh, I was much more actively in than in in production and procurement, mm-hmm. and then when my brother came in the business. Um, about I think it was eight or nine years ago. You know, he took on more responsibilities that that my dad probably didn't enjoy doing, and so he really had a good situation um, towards the end of uh, of his run here, where you know, well, probably over about a six or seven year period, he was able to delegate to his sons, and then ultimately about a year ago, decided that you know he would just take a chairman role, and we still speak to him pretty frequently, uh-huh. run questions by him. Um, etc. But uh, you know his day to day involvement is is no longer uh, is no is no longer doing. Cool. Okay. And, and was it always your intention to join the business? Was that something growing up you thought that that's my path? Or <laughs> no, no. I would I would say that inadvertently my father handled it perfectly with my brother and I because he there was no intention for us to go in the business. There was no pressure ever on us to to join the company. We didn't grow up every summer or every opportunity going to the office and working for him. He wanted us to choose our own path. He wanted us to find interests in our lives that we enjoy and, and, and go and go after that. And that was part of, you know, I think part of what, what led us back to the business is that we didn't just work here because my dad said that you have to work here. Mm-hmm. We came back here because we wanted to work here and, and we enjoy working here. So it's almost the, um, you know, the, it's, it's the attitude of taking like, you know, if you want to do this and you want to be great at it, you don't want to be forced into it. And my dad, that was always my dad's uh, thought process. Yeah, and we, we hear that quite a lot, actually, with, with some of the other guests we've spoken to. And there was never really an intention. Um, it, it was always the family business was always something that was around you because of the nature of, of the business. But it wasn't something where you felt forced into doing it. And the majority of people we speak to where that's the situation come back through choice and have that passion for um, the business. Um, and I'm wondering whether there's uh, something in the back when I'm not having that obligation that, that perhaps um, is an advantage. Yeah, well, I think in life, right, when you're forced to do something versus you, you, you know, actively choosing to to participate you're, you're you're invested more in in the outcome and i know obviously it's a family business so you're saying oh well because my name's on the you know my name's on the the building or my name's you know as, as an owner but that doesn't that doesn't correlate right if i don't want to do something yeah right how am i going to be passionate about it how am i going to be wake up everyone to be excited to go to work every day like just because i'm an i'm an owner right doesn't mean that um, you know. And in this case, like let's say you're someone who didn't, right, who didn't choose to be in the business. There's there's a little sort of regret and also probably jealousy of you know I wish I could do this or I wish I could do that. And you know I think that 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 takes away from <clears throat> takes away from your uh, your passion and love for what you're doing because you're not choosing it. You're 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 being Absolutely. told this is what you're going to do. Yeah, and and it's almost forcing it. It is. Um, opening it up to, to um, rebellion. Um, yes, if it's, exactly. if it's something you will feel passionate about this because it's a family business, and, and actually, uh, the natural reaction is no, I, I don't want to. Um, 
So yeah, that that's a a, a great point. Um, and you're you're present now, but how has your role changed within the business? Now, how did you, how did you start out within the business? Yeah, so it, that's it's interesting. Um, when I first started the <laughs> the conversation, the hiring process for 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 me was um, I had a job on Wall Street. I was going to go work for Bear Stearns, mm-hmm. and the tech bubble hit. And so there was a hiring freeze. So when I was supposed to report um, September, I think it was September 3rd, uh, 2001. They they postponed it uh, a month and said, come back. So I remember my dad turns to me on, uh, on Monday, Labor Day here in the States and says, so what's your plan for tomorrow? And I'm like, well, the same plan it was for yesterday. And I was 22 years old and, you know, I was looking for a job and I was like, I'm going to go, uh, you know, I'm going to sleep and hang out. He goes, so I'm going to need you in the office tomorrow. Uh-huh. I goes, well, I goes, because I, I, I need you just to go. And if you're going to look for a job, I'm going to go look for the job, come to the office and make it like, you know, make it, make it a, a full-time job to look for a job. And I was like, all right, that's a good point. So that's actually how I got involved. I, I, I started going to the office and I was going out on interviews and looking. And my dad said, hey, I'm going to this meeting. Will you drive me there? three hours away or hey just sitting here with me on this i was like yeah sure you know as i'm looking for a job sounds good and after about three months um of being around it saying you know look this is what i want to do and uh, my personality and my skill sets were suited to sales Uh so i first started with sales and i worked with our uh, we have brokers uh, food service brokers who represent us and in this case it was a one-person shop he was a former school teacher probably in his mid, probably late fifties, who was really prone on education. And I just sat there with him and absorbed all of what he had to teach and and what he had to offer. And, you know, then obviously being exposed, I mean, that one of the benefits of a family business is sitting, right. It's it's being able to sit in a meeting with your dad, but just listen and be exposed to meetings that you would never ever as 22 year old be exposed to. I mean, I was meeting with CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies. I was meeting with, you know, distribution companies. I mean, uh, I'm just sitting there listening and going, wow, this is incredible. Just uh, uh, taking in all this information. So I started in sales for about, uh, you know, I'm not probably about seven, eight, nine years. Um, And then as my father started started to sort of remove himself, I got more involved in production as well as sales. Uh And, um, you know, and then IT is something I'm really passionate about. Technology is uh-huh. is, is something that I I just think is uh, the is clearly the next frontier. And for people who adopt it fast, is a huge point of difference within your business and how you can how you can service the customer, right? Because the, the focus of at least our business is how do we improve the customer uh, the customer journey? How do we improve our customer service and become uh-huh. A best-in-class company in that capacity. So, so that's sort of the, the maturation. I started in sales. I got my uh, I got my feet wet in production and and you know IT. I just became passionate about and sort of built an IT department here with um, you know, with some of the folks. And um, you know about two it'll be two years um, this or next month uh, that my dad um, you know dad uh, pointed me to CEO and president. Uh-huh. And I'm interested because. Um, it, it may be something that, that is uh, UK focused, but but I'm I'm fairly sure that the stats are are global. In, in the, the the conversations around succession um, and business continuity or, or, or legacy, as it's um, often referred to, that aren't normally a proactive um, conversation. But it's it sounds as if within your family business that that it was proactive and that your dad was quite. Um, forward thinking in that sense, in that he he knew that the um, the business would need to be passed on at some point and, and started that process relatively early. Yeah, I think that I think he, he one thing about my dad is that he's very understanding of when um, for him when he needed to sort of exit a an area of the business because it was um, passing him by. Uh-huh. Right. That's, I think, one of the brilliances of, of, of any business and business person is to, is to say, look, I don't need to understand. I don't, I don't need to know exactly how it works. Right. So I, like my dad says to me, I don't have to know how social media works, but I know it's a component of our business uh-huh. that we need to improve. So, you know, Jamie, go handle that or go or go, go, go be involved in that. And so, you know, things like that, I think over time you recognize what, you know, 
uh, my role and my brother's role. And I think that ultimately he recognized that, you know, what's, what's very difficult in, in a family business is um, harmonious relationships between siblings, cousins, and et cetera. Yeah. And I think that he, he recognized that, you know, look, uh, you look to Wall Street and you look to, to many businesses, there's not, there's not co-chairmen. Very rarely are there co-presidents uh-huh. because you need, you need direction. You yeah. need leadership. And very rarely can leadership derive from two people for an organization where they're completely, um, you know, they completely share the same vision and also share the same leadership skills uh-huh. and, you know, identifying like a great coach identifies where people's strengths and weaknesses are. My dad was, was good. I mean, look, it, it's anyone who tells you that it's perfectly harmonious would be lying to you, yeah. right? There's always people that are, especially in family businesses, but I think that we all understood, right. Where, where, where everyone's strengths and weaknesses is. And, and the fact that just because I'm president doesn't mean that my brother doesn't contribute significantly to the business. Uh-huh. Right. And yeah. just, it's a, it's a title in itself. It doesn't show what my productivity or what my workload is. It just, there needs to be one, a, one person in place. And I think that my dad understood that and it worked out very well for my brother, I, and my dad, where we, our personalities all sort of fit in where, where we can contribute um, to the organization. Yeah. And I think that that kind of structure helps for accountability as well, doesn't it? If you've got two people in the seat, um, it's very easy for, for one to look at the other and go, well, actually that's his decision, not, not mine. Um, yes. If it doesn't go right. Whereas um, ha- having distinct roles and responsibilities m- means you're accountable to those. Yep. Yep. I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge believer, right. In accountability. And I also think that when, um, you know, when, when, whether it's me or my brother or an employee here, when they take ownership of a, a project task or whatever it may be, that that's theirs and then they need to, to own it. And I think that, you know, we try to convey those, um, you know, those convictions to our employees. You just say, take ownership, like, like you're a schwide, go, mm-hmm. go handle it, go after it. And, you know, if, if, if you fail, right, it's okay, Right. If it's okay if you fail for the right reasons, uh-huh. and I think it's the same thing for us. And you know, I, I'm I've learned from this experience, and I think that you know, when, when one of the um, you know topics that we discussed was about secession plan, and like certainly I haven't. You know, I'm 38 years old. I just got married, uh, so I don't. I'm not necessarily looking at my secession plan just yet. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I am. But it's something that is something that I, I can share with you is on my mind already. I mean, we, um, we're part of this group in the United States called the North American Media Institute. And every year they have a conference and a big component of that conference is family businesses. Uh-huh. And one of the couple lessons early on is, is two things from these seminars, right? One is it's not a family business. It's a business family. Uh-huh. And you have to make decisions. And this is where I, I think a lot of, you know, and I hope we don't fall down this track, but we have to make decisions based not on what's best for the family, but what's best for the business. And it might not be what's best for me. And it might not Uh be what's best for my brother or my father, but it's got to be what's best for the business. So whether Uh it's travel schedule or whether it's, you know, entering a new business, um, whatever it may be, you have to look at it from sort of a, a business first and then the family second. And that means like, if I'm not, you know, we, we, great example, we just brought on a COO. Okay. Uh And I recognized where my strengths and weaknesses are. And one of my weaknesses is that I'm not, um, I'm not the type of person that's going to, that would, that would feel great sitting in a, in a production plant for 10 hours a day. Uh-huh. That's not my personality. And I recognize that. And, and so did my brother. And we said, let's bring somebody on board that, you know, that can offset some of our limitations, right? Where we're not the, the best of what we do. And so we brought the CEO on and it's been great. Uh-huh. Happens to be Ger- for your, I don't know if this is a European podcast, but for your German folks, he's actually a, uh, he's, he was born and raised in Germany, but uh, uh, okay. you know, which is you know, German engineering and process. There's yeah. nothing, nothing better than that. Absolutely. Um, and presumably yeah. he's, he's not a, a family member or there wasn't nope. a family member that you considered for the role. Well, there's only, it's only my brother and I, uh, gotcha. and he, okay. he has two and his, his 10 year old, uh, my 10-year-old nephew, although yeah. although uh, is a great basketball player, I don't think he's prepared yet enough. 
<laughs> a couple of years yet. Hey, we'll get him there. We'll get him. Well, if he wants to. Again, only if he wants to. Absolutely. Uh, and just to, to, to rewind a little bit in terms of, of the structure and size of the business, to, to give the audience an idea of where the business has come from, uh, and as you say, it's in the fourth generation now. It, it started off as an individual um, butcher's shop. Yeah. And, and w- where is it now in terms of size and um, location, etc.? So um, from, from, you know, I, I don't, I, I'm not uh, aware of the numbers back, obviously, in the, in the early 1900s. But mm-hmm. I, I, over the last, I mean, over the last 15 years, the, the, the business has, has grown by, I think, fourfold. Okay. Yeah. So we've we're we're, we're this year we're on target to do about two hundred and fifty million in revenue uh-huh. dollars. Yeah. So um, you have to convert that into into pounds or or euros. But um, uh-huh. you know, but it's been a so business. You know, the I'm an avid reader of a lot of uh, of really pioneering business folks, and and what they'll sh- what what I've learned is that as great as we think we are in business, right. Timing is so so critical to the success. Uh-huh. And my dad, for you know, from probably 1978 till you know 2000, you know, business was growing and it was nice and and you know it was a modest growth growth. And then in 2000, the Atkins diet here in the states, Dr. Atkins, which is a highly protein based diet, yeah. became super popular. Uh-huh. And so we then we started to see our burger um, business start to grow. And then we pick up the five guys account mm-hmm. and, and that, that creates a, a new, a whole new segment of burger restaurants. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I joke and something I, I've said many times, like in 2001, if you and I were talking, you said, Jamie, is there room for another six, 7,000 uh, burger restaurants in the United States? I would look at you and say, are you crazy? <laughs> look at all the McDonald's and Burger yeah. Kings and, and Wendy's that are out there. Yeah. There's no way. Well, guess what? You know, I'm I'm wrong. I'm, I'm wrong a lot of the time, and that's and that's one of them. And so, you know, we, my dad, and you know, I had, had this business, and we 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 joking that we were an overnight, to, you know, uh, an overnight success, and only took like four generations. But yeah, you know, the business we we had, we were able to jump on this trend, pick up these better burger customers, and our our you know, you also look at the the growth, and certainly in the United States, there was a. Up until the, our big recession here in '09, there there was a, a growth in restaurants that was unprecedented. Uh-huh. Um, you had disposable income, but you also had this 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 um, the consumer base that wanted to out to eat. And for the first time ever, I think it was in '08 or '07 that um, restaurant sales outpaced grocery sales. Now that's wow. that's turned the other way again, um, but it was huge. So you know, I, I yeah. you know, you, you wake up in the morning as a business owner in the food business, and if you're not growing at ten or fifteen percent, just because there's net new restaurants out there, then you're just not doing your job. Uh-huh. I mean, you you could be an average company and just wake up and say, look at all these new restaurants that are yeah. opening new business. You can ride so, that wave, can't you? Oh yeah. And now, I mean, now that the, the landscape has changed dramatically, we're in a, a food service market that's net, probably, uh, you know, net inflation, even flat to 1% growth. Uh-huh. So now it's about, you know, for us, it's about innovating. How, how are we going to grow within our, our business and, yeah. you know, within the verticals that we're in? Yeah. And I, I think that the reason I wanted to get some context around um, the, the scale of the business is, is firstly, you're a fourth gen um, business, which is is pretty rare when you look at um, the stats, um, but also you're, you're not insignificant in size in terms of turnover and, and staff. Um, and, and so I think that's a real testament to um, the vision of um, yourself and your, your predecessors that, that the business continues to be successful despite the um, fact that, or, or possibly because it's a fourth gen um, uh, business. I think it's, I think, I think the, what, what, what helps us in, in our success, one is that when, when, what, for your business to scale, right, my, uh, the, the biggest challenge, and it's in any business, but I would say in a family business more than anything is people, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're used to relying on yourself. My dad was a, you know, working with my grandfather, but for the most part, right, was self-made, right? You know, he, he was, he was an accounting major, so he was doing the accounting and he would go on sales and, you know, we had people within the facility, but 
he didn't necessarily, he had to rely on them, but he didn't have to rely on many people. Uh-huh. And as your business grows, you have to start relying on people without the last name Schweid. Uh-huh. And, and giving up that power and, 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 you know, <laughs> and, 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 and understanding to yourself that, you know, there are people out there that are better than Jamie Schweid at a lot of things, uh-huh. many things, right? There's a lot of, a lot of, and we have to, and I have to be open-minded and say, look, what is at the end of the day, best for our business uh-huh. and bringing on a COO, that's what was best for our business. And we also have a director of operations as well, right? That is what's best for our business and putting your ego aside and, and really developing people and hiring really good people and relying on them. And look, let, they're going to make mistakes, right? Uh-huh. But these people care just as much as, as people, you know, as, as family with the last name Schwed. And that's how, that's our key here is how we're going to cultivate a great culture and also continue to grow. And that's interesting in, in the sense of, of culture, because uh, how many employees do you have broadly? Right now, we are uh, at around 300 employees. Okay, so, so uh, understanding a, a, a vision and a value set that, that is um, born through, through the family, um, as you say, as you add people into that mix that are, are non-family members, it's fairly yeah. tricky. How do you um, address that in terms of you've already mentioned that you've created an environment where it's okay to make a mistake, that that's a cultural thing that comes from, from the, the family values. Um, but that's quite tricky to achieve. That That's a difficult thing to, especially at a scale of three, 350 employees. Yeah, look, it's, I would, sh- I would share with you that uh, it's a work in progress still. Uh-huh. And we, you know, it, it's, it comes right. Culture starts at the top, right. But uh-huh. also, but, but also, um, if you don't hire the right employees that embody the, the, the values that you have and the work ethic that you have and the mm-hmm. vision that you have, I mean, that's, again, I, I go back and I say, share with you the people piece, right. It's, and it's not, it's, you know, I find that it's not necessarily the, what I like to call the execution people, mm-hmm. the execution people, um, we've had great success with it, right. Where you give, you give a, an employee, you know, whether we have our, you know, our, our line our production employees, um, and then, you know, the, the sort of the middle, middle piece, right. That aren't directors, you know, for the most part, when, when we've had great success in, in, in giving in, in, in that area, but I think there for us, as we scale, there's a, com- a comment I always say in the office here is that there's two types of people that when you look at directors or you look at vice presidents that mm-hmm. exist, they're process people and they're execution people. Right. And, v- and very rarely do you find, find folks that, c- that can handle both. Mm-hmm. And, and typically you find execution people that have worked at large companies that are great at what they do, right? You give them a playbook and mm-hmm. they will execute that playbook perfectly. Yeah. But if you said to them, there is no playbook, I need you to create that playbook. Uh-huh. Typically, that's not a skill set that they um, that they have. Yeah, they come out so, in a cold sweat. Yeah, exactly. And they go, well, what do you mean? I don't I don't you don't know what. Well, and, that, and that's that's that entrepreneurial right device. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? So when you're entrepreneurial, you, 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 you're, you're out there and you're working and you, your process is something you can you know, you can create, but when you're execution. So what we've, what we've tried to focus on is using technology in some cases as, as a process builder, and then looking to find more people that, you know, at the senior level that have a process background that have uh-huh. taken companies that have grown. It's about growing with a company, right? It's about taking a company that's not going from, you know, that's growing at 10% a year. That's a billion, you know, $3 billion. And it's growing. It's a company that was $20 million. It went to a hundred million dollars. It went to a billion dollars. Uh-huh. Right. Because because to go from 20 to 100, as much as you're adding people, right, you have to add tremendous amount of process. Yeah. And and that's something that we're, we're, we're really as we want to scale. Right. You know, our bit, we're growing. You know, we, we entered into the retail market about four years ago. Uh-huh. And this year um, we're, we're, we're going to be selling about six thousand stores. Now, to put that into context. Um, our business really is only on the east coast of the United States. Right now, it's, it, it is heavily populated um, and, and concentrated. But um, you know, six thousand stores in, in four years is still six thousand stores. Uh-huh. 
and, and, and it's been a great success and, and it's, and it's feeling some of our growth because we feel like we found the niche in the, in, in the marketplace for premium products uh-huh. and recognize that why can't we take the great products that we make in, in food service for the, for, for some of our better burger customers, as well as some of our high end chefs and bring that to the retail space, because that's what our consumers are demanding. They're demanding high quality products and they're looking at the marketplace in a very differentiated way. Uh-huh. Right. They, like if you look at, I, I try to look at, uh, before we got into this market, look at where sort of the, the businesses were evolving. And that's where the innovation for us, where it's like, I think, again, I think that we're, we're putting ourselves in a position. Um, when we do this podcast in five years, I'll confirm that with you. Uh-huh. But uh, where, you know, uh, a, a friend of mine who's, who's, who's a very smart business leader said, look, if you're not, if you're not growing or innovating, you're dying. Yeah. And so we looked at it and said, okay, where, was, where were we positioned as a business? We were positioned in the middle. We're making some, some private label product for food service distributors. We're doing some our label product for food service distributors. But we recognize that that's not going to fit in the new world. The mm-hmm. new world is ultra premium or premium and low-end commodity. The yeah. middle space is very it, – it's, it, it's not an opportunity anymore because mm-hmm. it, it, it's, a, it's a confusion for your brand. So yeah, it's really hard retail, to stand out there as well, isn't it? Yeah. So in the retail space, that was something that we, we, we made a great, um, a, a smart play where it turns out one of the uh, folks uh, that I've known since I was you know a young kid is in the marketing business. And mm-hmm. he created this amazing, incredible packaging. If you go to schwadensons.com um, on our packaging, like he did a phenomenal job. Yeah, and it's it really cool. Oh, really? I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, I'd like to, you know, take credit, but I, I can't take credit for, for growing up with somebody for all these yeah. years. So, <laughs> you know, but, but, you know, it's it, so it's that's that's, you know, that's one of the things, hopefully, this innovation that we're looking at and you, you got to constantly be changing. Right. Yeah. You know, doesn't mean you change your core product, but how you market it, where you're selling it, who you're selling it to. to I think that's important. Uh, and is that how the relationship with Five Guys came about? Because um, uh, obviously they're, they're family um, owned as well. Yeah. Um, so, so, so there's some synergy. But, but, but was yeah. it because you were aiming at that um, higher end of the market and, and that's where they're operating? Or which no, came first? No. So, uh, so the Five Guys came first. So it's very interesting. And by the way, there's some great Five Guys in, uh, in the UK. And- yeah, they're, they're relatively new over here. Um, yes. So, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's been well received over here in the UK. Yeah, I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation, but I was in I was in Paris actually in London in uh-huh. April. And I was on the Champs Elysees, uh-huh. and there is a, a. I'm walking down, and I'll I'll come I'll tell you the origin story in five guys in a second. But I was walking down, uh, the Champs Elysees, and I'm looking at all these iconic brands throughout the world, uh-huh. and I pull up a, and I see a Five Guys, and like I, I almost started crying. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, because, yeah, and I call my father, and I go, "This is incredible." I mean, in in 2002. We get a phone call from one of our, our food service distributors that this customer, Five Guys, is, is looking, um, you know, they were looking at, you know, uh, improving the beef that they were buying and they uh-huh. were always looking. So we went down there um, and uh, I met with uh, some of the morels. We sold them, sold, some, sold them the burgers. Uh-huh. So they were happy. And then about a year later, uh, we met with, uh, with, with Jerry Morell came up to the office, who's the, the father and the patriarch. Uh-huh. And, you know, talk about somebody who um, is humble and is, is just a, a really smart business person who understands people. Uh-huh. Right. I mean, that, that I, I think is his greatest sort of trait is he understands people and how they work in I, you know, I, I, I joke with my dad. Yeah, I've heard this story before. Uh-huh. Let's open up a hundred stores, and he goes, yeah. oh, "I think we're going to open up a hundred stores this year." And um, and I and he seemed very was very nice and polite. And and I said, he leaves, and I go, "I, I heard this story." I said, "I heard that. I've heard this story before." He looks at me, he goes, "Nah, this, I got a feeling this is different." I said, "All right, sure." About a year and a half later, I'm on the phone with him, and we're obviously super excited. They opened up 150 stores, uh-huh. and I'm like, dad. And I said, you know, Jerry goes, look, I want to apologize to you. 
That's why I guess, you know, I told you I'd open up a hundred, but I opened up 150. And you know, <laughs> what, I saying, what I was saying was such a humble tone. I said, I said, Jerry, whatever you want. And yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's I mean, that's how we started. And we go down every year, and my um my dad and I were going down there. And uh, I tell you, I never had more fun working with a customer than mm-hmm. I had that I had with five guys because the 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 brothers are just you know fun, charismatic personalities that are just they're just great yeah and that comes across in their branding as well i mean yes. you get that impression on i'm over here in the uk i've never never met them um but but you you kind of i'm not surprised hearing that uh, when you when you say what they're like given the the brand image that they've uh, created yeah it's they're just and we've grown i mean every every year that they've grown we've grown with them yeah. and, you know and they're very loyal and you know we understand the that it's not just about um, you know, every year, you know, being, ha- being happy that we sell five guys, it's about working with them, innovating with them and, you know, taking their, uh, brand to the, you know, and, and, and continue to grow with their, with their business. Yeah. It's fantastic. It, it's, it's a great story. Um, oh, uh, and you've mentioned, um, the, the, the topic of innovation, um, already. And I, I know with a lot of the, um, expansion that you're doing and growth that you've achieved a lot of that has been down to innovation but but would you say that's a sort of a fundamental part of the, the future success of the business as well is, is how well you can innovate oh absolutely i mean it's it's a it's a daily conversation within our organization and certainly um something that we we evaluate on a day-to-day right it's how how are you know what how are we getting better how are how are we making the experience, the Schwadenson's experience better. And I, and I think what we've, we're trying to focus on, um, I think I mentioned before on the innovation piece is using technology as a productivity tool. Uh-huh. Right? So what we don't want to do is we don't want to have technology replace, you know, salespeople or things like that, because at the core of what we do, right, it's still a, a food product and it's still, you know, uh, we want great salespeople conversating with our great, uh, restaurant partners and really creating value. And then also, you know, our consumers talking with our brand and really sharing what's great. But I think what, what we look from an innovation perspective is, is on this, on the sales and marketing side, right? How do we communicate with our consumers, our customers? How do we provide them with the best information to market their products, to sell their burgers, to price their burgers, to give them insight on the industry and, uh-huh. and anything that we can do, what we call beyond the burger, right? So, I think that selling, we sell a great product. We're really, really proud. And it makes my job sometimes very easy, yeah. right? Because you own to a Burger King. But what value are we providing besides a great product? So, and, and service, price, and product, uh, I would say, are table stakes at this point, right? That's uh-huh. what, what everyone expects. So we're trying to go beyond. And then I think on the production side, on the innovation is, how do we make our product consistent 52 weeks of the year 365 days uh-huh. right and i'm you know people um that we have um in new jersey you know have been with us for many many years and they they understand the process and and so we want to you know look at the process and say how long should we be blending this meat for uh-huh. what type of cuts should we be putting in there are there new and, and, and different cuts i mean we probably come out with um Today we probably have thirty-five different blends of meat that we we make, and wow. we probably add a, we probably add a couple every year. Uh-huh. And so we're we're constantly innovating, working with our chef partners to create products that customers want, uh-huh. and then also working on on the uh, internally and saying to ourselves, how do we replicate? How do we use technology to say we're going to blend this four minutes every single time? Uh-huh. We're going to grind this meat at this number every single time or that we're going to you know replicate our process in a way that that says every burger that you have made by Schwad and Sons is um is the same and i think that that's part of utilizing technology in the existing footprint that we have but you know if we decide to expand and grow and we wanted to go into a different marketplace how do we how do we scale how do we replicate what we're doing yeah fantastic and, and again it, you mentioned about the expansion um, uh, that, that's happened recently, and, and forgive me, I've, I've forgotten the name of the city that you, you've. Oh, Atlanta. Atlanta. Atlanta, yeah. Um, and uh, as I understand it, there was a, an article in, in Forbes magazine that, that you mentioned 
that there was a possibility of bringing in external um, investors at that point to kind of accelerate things. Um, but it was a decision you made consciously not to bring that investment in. Um, mm-hmm. could, could you kind of expand on that a little bit as sure. to, to what, what was behind that decision? Well, so I'm, I'm a believer of before we, you know, before we make any major decision to explore all options, mm-hmm. right. And to not push aside something because in the past, maybe I didn't think it was a fit for the organization. Yeah. So when we looked at uh, expanding our business, we said, okay, how do we want to fund this? Right. Should we fund this internally? Should we fund this um, from the bank? Should we fund this from outside capital? Mm-hmm. So what we did was, is we, we entertained and brought in, you know, private equity, we brought in you know, the bank and we obviously brought in our accountants to look at our financials and, and wanted to make the right decision. And what I found is, you know, that private equity is a, provides a great um, source of cash, uh-huh. right? For, for folks that are looking in, you know, for three options, right. That are looking, I think one is to a family from a family perspective is exiting the business. Right, mm-hmm. so it gives them, it gives them that opportunity. Uh, another opportunity is to to get some cash, get some equity out of, or get some cash out of the business and give up some equity, so you can take you know take that money and choose to do whatever with it, um, you know, and which would also then include a sale, so you're you're, you're exiting. Yeah. And the other is access to capital to grow your business, um, you know, extensively. But mm-hmm. I think at that point it's. For us, we're saying if we can do this by ourselves, right? If we can do this on our own, that's the best for us, best course of action. Because we feel like that. I think personally that um, you know, if there was a strategic investor out there, right? Somebody that came to us and said, "I can take the, I can bring all of this value to you," uh-huh. right? Then I would, you know, I would say, "Great, this sounds like a really good opportunity." Yeah. Um, what what and you know and so we've had some some interesting conversations with some some real um, you know people but also not you know, the 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 challenge for me in private equity isn't isn't I think there I have a lot of friends in it it's a great business but you know it it puts you on a short timeline yeah so, you know I think that from a family business perspective that you should you should be making decisions that are in the best interest of the long term growth of your business not creating short term value. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that is a recurring theme amongst family firms. You're not accountable necessarily to shareholders who are looking for the quick return on their their shareholding. So so you can take those longer term um, decisions as to what's right for, um, as you say, the the business family. Yeah. And the innovation piece, I think, too, right? That, you know, if if you're going to spend money in areas and potentially you fail in those areas, right? That's not a great you know, ROI for, um, or perhaps you're investing in an area where you're not going to see the dividends for another five, six, seven years, but you're uh-huh. starting and creating a business. Again, that's, that's a big capital startup for um, a private equity investor or an equity investor that says, you know, I'm not reaping the benefits or dividends in this, mm. you know? So uh, look, I think it's a great, uh, you know, the private equity world is a, is a obviously a, it's a proven model. It's uh-huh. it's there's tons of brilliant of brilliant people in there, um, and I would never say no, you know, to it. Just at that point in the company's um, timeline, I think it, it wasn't the best uh, wasn't the best fit. Yeah, and I, I think you you made the point really well there that it, it's not just about the money; it's about what else it can bring um, to the organization. Yes. And if it's all about, you know, I need this back within five years, um, as opposed to we're building something that can last to, um, potentially fifth generation and beyond. Um, it, it makes that decision slightly easier for you. I mean, we've mentioned this th- throughout, um, I think, but, but, but as a specific question, um, how do you feel that being, a family business sets you apart or acts as an advantage for you within what you're doing? I think how it sets us apart is when a consumer or when, um, you know, when a consumer or when a customer looks at, at our business and, and sees that there are people behind it. Right. Uh-huh. That there's that, that, that you can talk and touch and email and speak to, you know, the, the, the ownership of the business. I think that may plays a major part 
Uh-huh. I mean, it, you know, when we talk about these larger businesses with, with, with significant layers, they're great. They're businesses that thrive and succeed, but they're the, the world. I think all, it, to some degree is changing more to, to a more localized and, and localized focused uh, economy where, you know, you want to know where your products are coming from. You want to know where your food's coming yeah. from. And when it says Schweidenson's on there, that's a real person, right? That's my last name. Uh-huh. And I think, I think that it resonates with people much, uh, it resonates with people. And I think it gives us that competitive advantage to know that, that this is four generations uh, committed to a craft that, um, that, that we have some, some, some experience and that uh, we have some credibility in what we do. Yeah, uh, absolutely. That, that that's uh, now's that point com- completely. Um, ju- just before we we kind of draw to to the end, um, I was wondering if there was uh, a single tip that you could give to to other family firms or a lesson that you you've had um, that that others could learn from to help them thrive. Because you know, obviously the, the business that you you operate within has been very successful and and, and is. Uh, an example of how to to do things right. I'm not saying there haven't been bumps in the road, but um, what what would you pass on as a tip for others? I, I mentioned it before, and I'll, I'll stress it again because I think it's so important, right? And it, it sort of feeds into a bigger a bigger theme, right? When you're an owner of a business, or you're a president of a business, or you're it's lonely, mm-hmm. right? It's lonely at the top, and you you'd sometimes make decisions that are not necessarily based on what's best for the business, but what might be what's best for you. Uh-huh. And you don't look at the, the landscape of your business and understand and do self-analysis, right? It's, that's the hardest thing for a, a family business, for a CEO, you know, for somebody, you know, I don't go in for, for employee evaluations every year. Uh-huh. No one tells me where I need to improve and where I don't need to improve. Yeah, and 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 those are those are are difficult um, difficult things to to you know how do I improve myself? And I think it's it's important to to talk to try to create honest dialogue with your employees and say you know and, and we did that actually um, with our new COO and and we got some really good honest dialogue and you know it wasn't. I don't, you know, our, my response and my brother's response wasn't like, oh, I don't believe that. It's like, no, yeah. this is what this is what our employees feel, and we have to yeah. do a better job in, in 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 communicating better, or you know, whatever came up on that list, do a better job of. And I think that it's very easy to make a decision that that, that benefits you in the long term, but you have to look at your business and say that no one is bigger than the business, yeah. right? You create an entity, you create a business, and you know, yes, you are the strategic visionary or you're the entrepreneur, but you know, if you left tomorrow, would your business function? Uh-huh. And I think that's something to, to take a look at. And I think that the, the tip here to sort of wrap it up is, is make decisions based on what's best for the business uh-huh. and not what's best for, um, for the family. Fantastic. I got, can I ask one, one yes, question to you? Yeah, please. So, are, are, what's your thoughts on the on, on Prince? Was it uh, Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle? Yeah, um, I, I think it's great. I, I think um, you know the, the press over here are making um, an awful lot about the fact that she's been divorced in the past and that she's um, mixed race and that she's a, a Hollywood actress. Um, but, but they seem really happy together, and I think that's the most important thing. I think that. A lot of the um, noise around it is is just that in, in terms of um, what can we write to to sell some papers over here. Um, yeah. But I I think it's um, I think it's great. Um, h- how about you? Oh, I'm a huge fan. I um I was actually at uh, at Buckingham Palace uh, in, in April, and I think it's uh, it's wonderful that the you know that the the monarchy can be shared now a little more with the states and yeah. you know, where the states are sort of obsessed with it. To, to some extent, uh, uh, you know, Prince. When Prince William was married, it was like uh-huh. a huge, uh, uh, huge ratings get over here. But no, I think it's great when you diversity is what drives right this country. When you look at the story of my grandfather, great grandfather, yeah. rating from Eastern Europe here, like you know, immig- like diversity and and it's it's a. I think it's a great step for certainly for the monarch. And I'm from what I'm hearing, besides the press, everybody in in, uh, 
in, in England thinks it's a it's a it's a wonderful story. Yeah, I, th- I think the main thing we're upset about we, we have things over here called bank holidays. I don't know whether you have those in, in the states, which is basically where we all get a free day off. Um, <laughs> and most people are upset because they said we're not getting a bank holiday. Um, so, <laughs> oh really? Um, Why not? <laughs> I don't know. Um, but but they they've missed a trick really because um, it, it would have been a, a real winner to to say yeah you all get a free day off because um, someone's getting married. Um, it, it's happened in the past, so uh, I'm not sure why not not this time. But but I completely agree. I think that it's the diversity that that, that makes um, our country so special. So um, yeah, I think it's it's great. Yeah, no, me too. So I just had to jump that in because I'm a I'm a big fan of Suits. I I watch the show. It's a, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a great show, and you know to see uh, see this happen is great. Yeah, we're we're wondering what's going to happen to her in Suits now, though. Well, it's, she's now. You know, this is her last season. No, yeah. if you if you follow um, Mike, um, is is the character's name? And I, I, yeah. forget, I think it's Patrick. But he write, he writes in a in a tweet like when she got engaged. Like, Wait, I thought she was just going out to grab some milk. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Very yeah, very yeah. good. But the, the other side of it as well is where um, Harry's going to have his stag do because um, he, um, he he had an infamous, um, uh, uh, what shall we say, um, altercation in Vegas, I think, a few years back. Um, so I'm not sure whether we'll be heading back there for his uh, for his stag do or not. But um, oh, no, well, uh, I was there inter- the weekend. It's ironic you said that. I was actually in Vegas the weekend after. Uh, okay. Uh, I was there and uh, there, I was actually probably in. I think I was in maybe the uh, the area where he was. Uh, he got in a little trouble and. <laughs> shame on the other people. We let yeah. the man enjoy himself. Exactly. Yeah, he's he's a guy at the end of the day, isn't he? He's, he, yes. he deserves to have some fun as well and uh, outside of the spotlight of the the glare of the world. Yep, I agree. Fantastic. Um, great. So, so where can our audience find out a little bit more about you, Jamie, and, and the business? Uh, so if you head to schweidensons.com, that's a great way to learn more about uh, our products and what we do. And you can follow us on Instagram where we have an incredible array of burger shots uh-huh. from all of our great customers and, and, and also some great burgers out there um, today. So that's yeah. Instagram's a great place for us. Follow us um, at Schweidensons on Twitter uh-huh. um, as well as for all the ladies out there, we, we're not as active on Pinterest as, uh, right. as other brands, but really we're, a lot of our attention is focused on uh, Instagram, Facebook, yeah. and, uh, and Twitter. I, I've spent some time on your site looking at some of those burger recipes, um, and they look incredible. There's oh, a, a huge amount of burger recipes on there, and, uh, yeah, it made me very hungry um, reading those. So, It's a um, tough job to have to eat those burgers when we yeah, eat the recipes, but somebody's got to do it. Yeah, tough life, eh? Hey? Fantastic. Well, Jamie, thank you very much for your time. Um, That's been really, really interesting. Um, There's loads of stuff in there I think that um, other businesses can can pick up on, relate to and and learn from. So uh, thank you very much for your time. All right. Sounds good. Thank you. That's it for this week. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to leave us a review, please feel free to do so on iTunes. If you want to get in touch, you can find out more information at www.fambizpodcast.com. We'll see you again soon.